Welcome to another episode of the Rain Race Podcast. Today, myself and Kyle Cuthbertson are going to be recapping the six hours at the Glen, the first race that he and I were able to attend together in person. We're going to be recapping our experiences at the track and giving a rundown of the race itself. We're also going to be covering the latest news and rumors from IMSA, IndyCar, Formula One, and more. If you want to join us in the live discussion for future episodes, you can go to my YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash C slash GT Rain to join us in the live discussion for future episodes. Until the next one, enjoy. How's it going? Welcome to another episode of the Rain Race Podcast. It's raining at my house and my dog is barking. Uh, so it's perfectly on brand. <laughs> Anyways, I'm not alone. As always, I'm joined by my friend Kyle Cuthbertson. <laughs> Kyle. What? That was your cue. What? I introduced you. I said, I said hey. No, I, I... What else? What do you want from me? I didn't hear that. If you said that, it's completely cut. But, I um, did say hey. All right, well, then, did say hey, then we're all set. Uh, anyways, Kyle and I finally got to go to a race for the first time in like seven years over the weekend, which was, uh, which was very fun. We're going to be recapping that this episode. The sale in six hours at the Glen. Now... Got to get this out of the way first and foremost. Um, I was unable to watch the entire race on, on TV um, for a couple of reasons. Number one, NBC didn't broadcast the entire race. Um, so what I was able to watch after the race was the highlights, the extended highlights that they put up on YouTube. And that's okay and everything except that it doesn't tell the entire story. Um, and there are a couple of questions for the race that I'm probably going to rely on the chat to... Um, to fill in the gaps. Um, but we'll do the best that we can here. Uh, also, we're going to be talking about some other news and stuff later on in the episode, so stick around for some of that stuff. Um, anyways, hang on one second. I am uh, completely ill-prepared for this. Was uh, Didn't have something pulled up that I needed. Um, anyways, so I guess we'll just start with qualifying uh, for the weekend. Um don't know why uh very well prepared yes very yes. very good um we're just gonna hop over to you the know race. we were at this race you, know, we, we I, can, you uh, weren't you weren't there for qualifying i was there for uh for qualifying but uh, for some reason i wasn't able to load up the mc results website that was the issue right there anyways starting grid for the race uh it was the number 10 konica minolta uh, wayne taylor racing cadillac on pole uh, accuracy seemed particularly strong this weekend. That's going to be one of the talking points we get into later on. Uh, but it was the number 60, Meyer Shank, Acura in second, and the number 01, Chip Ganassi Racing Cadillac third. Um, you know, I guess elephant in the room, the race winning Mazda was actually the slowest in the DPI class in terms of the qualifiers. Um, pretty much a second off the pace uh, of the Wayne Taylor Racing car in qualifying. Now, I do remember that they went through an engine change with that car. I believe the engine change was post-qualifying, I want to say, um, because when we got to morning warm-up on Sunday, they ended up being the fastest. Um, still didn't seem like they were able to carry that pace necessarily over to the race in the grand scheme of things. Um, so I'll we'll get into that a little bit later when we talk about the race itself. Uh, but in LMP2, it was the Win Autosport uh, Orica, followed by the number 18 
Era Motorsports Orica and the number eight Tower Motorsports Orica. Um, LMP3 was the number two United Autosports um, Ligier, uh, followed by the number 36 Andretti Autosport. First time for that car up in the WeatherTech ranks. Um, Ligier uh, in the 54 Core Autosport um, Ligier as well. Uh, GTLM, it was a Corvette front row lockout, the number three over the number four car. Uh, and the number 25 BMW uh, rounded out the top three in qualifying for them, or for the GTLM. Obviously, the number 25, or the BMWs this season are only running the endurance races, which means that, barring anything unexpected, the final race for that car will be the next race that it runs at Petit Le Mans for the season finale. And uh, lastly, GTD, the number 14 Wright Motorsport. Sorry, on brand getting inter interrupted again. Number 14, Vassar Sullivan Lexus over the number 16 Wright Motorsports Porsche and the number 42 NTE Sport Audi R8. Anyway, we'll jump into the race because this is where everything sort of didn't necessarily go as expected and because both of us were actually at this at this race um and i guess we're going to be lacking a little bit in terms of everything that was going on in the race because we were only able to see what our eyes were showing in front of us kyle i need to know your opinions uh on how you think that that race or how you think that race panned out overall uh i think shank fumbled the bag I guess they didn't fumble the bag. I guess they kind of got screwed with, you know, bad luck. Uh, the Acuras definitely had the, pay, like, the, I think, the best overall pace uh, of any of the cars in the field. Uh, the Mazda was definitely, so Mazda definitely, I think, throughout the race showed speed that they, you know, didn't sh uh, really show throughout the weekend. They kind of unexpectedly started just, you know, blitzing through the field after a terrible qualifying and you could tell that they were going to be good, but really uh, the 10 and the 60, the shank car were just uh, going back and forth uh, the entire race. Um, and if it wasn't because of uh, strategy, it was the Acres in the lead. So, I mean, I think shank just had some bad luck and uh, it was monsters day. And it was also pretty lucky for Monster as well, that they didn't have to do an extra lap in, in this race or else they would have lost. But I mean, overall it was a pretty, pretty outstanding you know race as all of these endurance races for IMSA usually are yeah and I guess we'll recap what we do know from the start of the race the first casualty of the event uh, really was the number 79 uh, WeatherTech Racing Porsche uh, as, no. as far as I oh you know what you're right you're right the lap one crash I'm completely forgetting about that the number eight tower motorsports LMP2 car right into the first turn Actually, I think they got hit from behind. I no. Did they not? They just lost. I had the. I took. I was taking video of the start, and I kept looking at that. I believe they just lost the brakes. Honestly. Hmm. They just had some weird lockup, and it just went hard left. No, that's interesting. Because um, yeah, I, I do actually remember seeing a replay of that, and um, it the way that they spun. It would look like they just got slammed from behind, but now that you say that, I think you actually are right. I don't think they did get help from behind. Um, also, I want to correct myself because I already realized the mistake I said uh, with the Andretti Autosport car 
their first race being at Watkins Glen. It wasn't. It was at Mid Ohio, which was the last round that they that, that class ran. So want to correct myself. Um, so yeah, it's Howard Motorsports. They I believe ended up with a little bit of potentially a little bit of suspension damage. They certainly didn't have the pace for the rest of the race. Um, ended up having to go back into the pits, I think, again um, after their first repair uh, because everything wasn't quite right. But then the, I guess, second casualty would have been the number 79 WeatherTech Racing Porsche a couple minutes into the race. That was um, a big one. Yeah, it looked like they might have just hit the wall in the final turn and... From what I remember, it was just enough to... I'd have to pull up Cooper McNeil's uh, description of what happened, but I believe it might have punctured the oil tank in the car um, and slowly caused a fire on the car. I think, Kyle, you were probably the first one to notice that for us. Yeah, because I just remember it looks kind of reminiscent to James Davison's uh, brake failure at the Indy 500 in 2020. Uh, I... There was some angle where you could just see in the the back part of the Porsche, and you could see like flame. And I, I was just, you know, saying it's on fire, and I was like, I think everyone thought it was a puncture. I was like, no, there's fire, and the, it just got bigger and bigger, <laughs> and then it eventually it did look almost identical to James Davison's uh, fire in 2020. So the thing about that that I think the commentary team pointed out. Um, is that Cooper McNeil pretty much from the from the looks of things didn't actually know the severity of the fire. I mean, there's a chance he might have seen some smoke out of his uh, left driver's mirror, but you have to remember that they don't have rear view mirrors in these cars. They have a camera on a display, which would have been pretty pretty much behind the fire completely. Um, so he could have seen a little bit of smoke on that, but he certainly wouldn't have seen the flames um, that were sort of billowing behind his car. Um, he, even pointed out that he was going down pit lane at the pit lane speed limit. Uh, and then you saw when he actually did get out of the car, that's when he really panicked when he saw the severity of the fire. I think it was actually probably when he stopped, uh, when the yeah, flames when pulled up stopped, alongside the his door. Started, yeah. Yeah. That he, uh, that he really noticed that the fire was bigger than he had expected. Um, so yeah, that was, I think the, the most notable casualty in that race would have been that car. Um, now another thing I do want to talk about, because I'm honestly not going to remember every single yellow from that race, um, there weren't actually a ton of them, it was a pretty clean race overall, but the final yellow, uh, at the end of the race, um, who was it caused by? It was an LMP2 car, I believe. It was and Tower. It was Tower again, okay. Uh, Tower Motorsports, with about just over an hour remaining, I think it was an hour and eight minutes remaining, um, crashed. It was right outside of turn one, I believe, uh, yeah. into the wall and brought out what was described to us as uh, a debris yellow, I think. Well, all we could, we weren't really near. We so were in the boot at the that point. For us, we were in the boot, so there's no video screens. Yeah. You can't really hear the PA. So, all, all we're really, our only source of knowing uh, what, like, the battles or what the, the lap times are and what's actually going on is the live timing. And, all I saw was light, the yellow debris. Didn't say anything about crash, about anything in any turn like I would expect uh, live timing to do. So all we knew was debris. So you know, until until probably like ten minutes after the checkered flag, we didn't know that the last yellow was um, was because of an actual crash. 
because I remember I remember at some point in the race, uh, Shank had pitted. Uh, he's probably like they were probably like the last ones to pit. They their lap times were consistently a few tenths faster. They were like five seconds up on the lead, and they. I, I just told Chris, I was like, how is there any way Shank? can blow this i was like this seems like shank's race it's like an hour and 20 minutes to go and then 20 minutes and then chris says well there could be a yellow that shakes things up and then 20 minutes later tower car wrecks and uh, that sets up the finish well because all i had to do is remember back to 2018 when the uh when the gainsco jdc car sort of pulled off that unexpected win after a late race yellow uh, and they were sort of nowhere as well i think the exact same story repeated itself in a couple different ways um this year um, but yeah, that brought out the final yellow. They went green with around 45 ish minutes to go, uh, which is, you know, coincidentally, roughly the amount of time that the DPI cars are going to be able to run on one tank of fuel, very similar situation to what we saw at mid Ohio this year. And this is where I want to pull up the stint schedules. And actually I want to ask some people in the chat because to me, because it wasn't in that NBC highlights video and I haven't been able to watch the entire race yet, it's still unknown to me how Mazda picked up the lead at the end of the race. I had initially thought everybody else uh, had taken tires and they didn't. Um, I don't know if they short filled the car a little bit, but to me, how they went from third to first in that final um, pit sequence was a bit of a surprise. Uh, but I do want to pull up the strategy overview for the uh, DPI cars at the finish because I think this might tell the story a little bit better. Uh, the most interesting thing to me is that if you look at the beginning stints of the race, the number 55 car was actually the second slowest uh, after the first stint, uh, followed only by the number five JDC Cadillac. Um, their average, or uh, yeah, I'm sorry, I was looking at best lap time. On average lap time, they were actually sort of in the middle because we had a couple of, uh, I guess, outlier cases such as the 31 wheel and engineering uh, Cadillac and the 48. Um, but on best lap time, they were down on pretty much the entirety of the DPI field. Um, and they were sort of sitting in the back for a while, uh, at least in that class. Later on in the race, I mean, we saw them work their way toward up towards the front a couple of times. Um, but it just didn't seem like they quite had the pace. And then when I look at the average lap time from the final stint, their average lap time on that final stint was a one, one, I'm sorry, completely minimized my screen was a one forty six point eight five eight, uh, followed by the shank Acura, which was a one forty six seven eight five. So actually the shanks car, the shank cars average lap time was one tenth quicker. Uh, but it wasn't really, enough at the end of the race because of traffic and some other um, factors that came into play. I'm just surprised to see, you know, I figured when Mazda had restarted on pole, and I still do need to figure out how they even, or not restarted on pole, but restarted in first, I figured there's got to be something behind this. Because like I said, my assumption was that they hadn't taken tires, and that would just mean that they had a bunch of tire fall off at the end of the race. And they were sort of just gambling, hoping for another yellow that could really put them back in the mix. Uh, but it stayed green the entire time after that final restart. And it didn't really look like they were looking back that much. I mean, Shank put up a bit of a fight with Oliver Pla, uh, Olivier Pla, sorry. 
Um, but really just in traffic. What's your answer? I have an answer. Okay. Uh, so apparently Mazda only changed one tire in the pits and then full fuel as right. much fuel as they could. That's interesting. So, so the other, tire. the other teams would have, I assume either been doing two or four. Um, yeah. yeah, that's, that's actually very interesting that, um, Tinknell was able to hold on that much at the end. Uh, because you, I mean, you look down the rest of the field and if you excuse that number 60 car, they pretty much had the fastest average lap, uh, out of the others that pulled that. I'm trying to think of how many laps they were doing in that final stint. Um, would have been 29 laps total, I believe. Um, some of the outliers, though, some of the cars that were on a slightly different strategy at the end, the 31 uh, Action Express Cadillac had... Uh, they did a four-lap stint, and then I believe right before they went back to green, they went into the pits again, I assume to top off on fuel, and then did 25 laps to the end. Now, the interesting thing about that car is, although they... I assume pitted to top off on fuel, um, actually ran out coming to the line and got passed by the number 48 Action Express Cadillac. Um, I have a video of that up on my Instagram. If anybody's interested, it's GT underscore rain. Because I don't think NBC had shown that finish at all, but it was pretty much a dead heat at the line between the 31 and the 48, with the 31s just sort of crawling to the line um, out of fuel. The... 48 car, Kamu Kobayashi in the car at the finish also did a similar thing. They pitted after three laps uh, on lap 174 after previously pitting on lap 172. So they only did two to three laps there. I assume did the same thing, topped off on fuel, and then ran 26 laps to the finish. Uh, and then finally, the number five JDC Cadillac pitted on lap 174. They then pitted again on lap 177 and then went to the end of the race. So they actually did two pit stops uh, in the same amount of time that the 55, 60, the 10, and the 01 did no pit stops. So a little bit interesting there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there's that much else to say in the, that case. I, you kind of answered my question, Kyle, the fact that they had only taken one tire. Um, I'm just extremely surprised that that had worked out because... You'd think at a track like Watkins Glen, it was particularly hot that day. Track temperature would have been way up there. Tire wear, I assume, would have been higher than usual. And if you're on fresher tires at the end of the race, especially, it wasn't even a short stint. You're talking a full stint there, about 45 minutes under green. I figured that having fresher tires really would have just been the advantage. But um, I don't know. It appears that the clean air and track position might have been the way to go. Uh, anyways, going down, I guess going down the finishing results across all of the classes, the 55 Mazda DPI obviously won overall, followed by the 60 Meyer Shank Racing Cadillac, Acura, sorry, the number 10 Konica Minolta uh, Wayne Taylor Racing Acura, um, 31 Wheel and Engineering Action Express Cadillac, the 48 Ally Action Express Cadillac, and the 01 um, Chip Ganassi Racing Cadillac rounding out uh, the DPI field. Um, in... Oh, sorry, not the O one. It was the uh, number five, JDC, rounding out the field in DPI. 
In LMP2, it was the Win Autosport Orica over the 52 PR1 Matthias in Motorsports Orica and the number 22 United Autosports Orica. In LMP3, it was the 74 Riley Motorsports Ligier over the 54 Core Autosport Ligier and the 91 Riley Motorsports Ligier. Uh, in GTLM, number three Corvette Racing, Corvette, <laughs> over the 24 Ray Hall Letterman BMW, which actually BMW really was putting up a fight at the end. If you want to talk about another interesting battle, um, it looked like the 24 was really going to have a, a fighting chance at the number three car towards the end of the race. They actually had a better average lap time, just barely in that final stint. Um, but the number three car of Antonio Garcia was able to hold off at the end of the race. Uh, followed by the number 25, uh, Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan BMW of Connor Filippi, And finally, the number four, well, I guess number four, Corvette in fourth, and the uh, WeatherTech Racing Porsche would have finished uh, last that class because of their early race DNF. Finally, GTD, number 96, Turner Motorsports BMW, Bill Oberlin getting yet another win uh, in that class. The number one, Paul Miller Racing Lamborghini in second, and the 23, Heart of Racing Aston Martin in third. <sighs> All right, that was a lot of talking there. Um, probably going to jump over to a couple of messages because I had seen some. Matt Skipper waiting for a face cam TRRP if, you, if you're going to do a face reveal on the thumbnail. Uh, if you listened to the last episode, I said we're going to be doing that in a couple of weeks' time, just waiting to get a new camera that's going to allow me to do all that stuff. So, uh, yeah, that, that should be coming soon. Anyway, I think I'm sort of lost for words right now, Kyle. I don't know if you want to toss some things in here. We do have another race at Watkins Glen, a two-hour and 40-minute sprint race coming uh, this Friday. Yes, it is Friday, so you might have to write that one down because it's a little bit of an odd odd choice of time for that race, but I guess possibly TV scheduling is what caused that to be a thing. But the second running of the WeatherTech 240 will be this Friday uh, afternoon. Don't know the exact time uh, at Watkins Glen. And that one's actually going to be live on TV. That is what I know. That um, is so weird. Yes. Not only that's on a Friday, but the fact that the six-hour had no actual TV time besides a three-hour highlight. And then the Friday WeatherTech 240 gets, you know, on NBCS. It makes no sense. Yep. Well, what are you going to do? Uh, anyway, did you have any final opinions from that race before I turned it over to something else? Uh, Shank should have won. <laughs> and screw you. Yes. I don't, you know, I don't know how many people picked up on that thumbnail. You probably did, but, um, but that well, was taken it doesn't right show, after the race. It doesn't show the whole story. I was wearing a Shank shirt. Yeah. So if you look at the profile pic, if you, not the, the thumbnail of this video, there is Chris wearing a Cadillac t-shirt with Mazda taped over it because he is a Mazda boy. <laughs> and the the shirt I'm wearing is a, is a Meyer Shank shirt because I was repping all Ohio that day. I don't know about you, but Ohio, you know, but, you know, so we were both next to each other rooting for first and second and I lost. I don't know how. I don't know how I lost. Like, I want to, <laughs> how many laps did Shank lead? Oh, uh, that, um, I haven't seen that. I'm not sure if I'd be able to pick that up. Um, it was a lot. They led for most of the day. And they were, like, easily the fastest car. Not 
they didn't have the fastest lap of the day because here's something that keeps happening in endurance races that I want to point out. That number, the 01 car, always into at Watkins Glen, they never, you know, found their way up to the lead uh, like they did at Daytona and like they seem to do everywhere else. But they just, even though the Cadillac's not the fastest car, Magnuson and uh, Ranger just keep, you know, keep posting the fastest lap of the race every single race, and it's impressive. But you know what else is surprising is the fact that they only have one win thus far. I mean, you you just said that, and you'd expect that a team like them, given the performances they've been putting out this year, would have had, you know, at least two, maybe three wins by this point in the season, even though we're only really halfway. Um, but they have had a string of bad luck. And at the end of that race, at the end of Watkins Glen this past weekend, they actually were hit by the 48 um, Action Express Racing Ally, whatever you want to call call it uh cadillac and um sort of got beached in the sand um in the boot right at the end of the race so really just sort of a i don't don't know how else to call it other than just purely unlucky from them um yeah i I don't know (laughs) um Is that all we have to talk about for Watkins Glen? Yeah, yeah, I think it's. I got really. I'm see. Okay, so I'm really confused here because um, the 48. I don't. I, I, hang on. Let me go on Imps's actual results here because the 48 is being scored behind the uh, number 31 on the timing portal that I was just referencing, and I want to check the official results. And there, it's actually that way on the official results as well. I had figured the four. I'm pretty sure the 48 had passed the 31 at the line. Um, I would have to go back and watch my video really closely one more time, but I'm pretty sure that happened. Um, not that it's going to make a huge deal because the 48 car isn't a full-time car really racing for for um, you know the championship. Although it would really have the the potential to affect the championship points a little bit because the 31 would have finished fifth rather than fourth um but that is the way they're scored on the official results and that's a little bit confusing to me because i'm 95 percent sure the 48 had passed them at the line um anyways i guess i'll have to figure that one out after this podcast because that isn't the way my eyes had seen the, the finish um all right let's jump into some news a little bit oh okay okay Andrew answered that question for me. The 48 received the time penalty for contact with the L1. That makes sense. Thank you, Andrew. Um, and there are a couple of other um, chat messages I just wanted to get to here. What stings is next year more races will likely be on Peacock. Uh, yeah, you're right. So that's sort of just jumping back to when we were saying how does the six hour end up on streaming only and... Um, the sprint race is going to be live on, I believe, NBCSN. Uh, you could be right. I mean, I don't know if they're planning on going over to Peacock or if they're sticking around with their uh, with their track pass thing. But I guess that'll be something for a, for another day. Um, sad they're ending the DPI program a year before LMDH drops. Who's Fill me in on that. Who is that in reference to? I assume that's Mazda. Um, 
Yeah, so Mazda is dropping their DPI program at the end of this season, and uh, they do not have any intentions to do an LMDH car. So this will be the final season, at least for now, that we see Mazda in the top-class prototype ranks over in IMSA. Um, yeah, so he definitely was talking about Mazda because of their P2 car. Anyways, let's jump on to some news from this past week. Kyle, do you have anything to go over in IndyCar? I know we have... Uh, Mid-Ohio this weekend, you'll be there. Um, and uh, I think there's a couple of other, a couple of things to point out going into that race. So if you know what I'm talking about, you can, um, you can go over that. Well, we got some new drivers coming in uh, this weekend. Or not nice. new. One of them's not new, but uh, one of them is. So the 52 car that was driven by uh, Cody Ware at Road America and Pietro Fittipaldi at the Indy 500, kind of like the third... The second Rick Ware racing car, the third Dale Coyne racing car, uh, is being driven this weekend by Ryan Norman, who is a uh, Ohio native. He ran in Indy Lights for a couple seasons for Andretti Autosport. Uh, he kind of went and ran in the Michelin Pilot Challenge Series for Hyundai, uh, and now he's you know making his first ever IndyCar start at Mid Ohio. Makes sense, home track probably where um, a lot of his. Uh, funding comes from a probably local. Uh, so he's making his first ever start in that 52 car this weekend. Teammates with Roman Grosjean. Uh, I'm interested to see how he does. Uh, and Santino Ferrucci is gonna, coming back with Rahal Letterman-Lanigan. Uh, I don't think they have a set schedule of how many races Ferrucci is going to do with Rahal this year. Uh, so it's kind of just week to week, the week of the IndyCar race, whether or not you're going to see Ferrucci. I can almost guarantee that we're probably going to see that car at Gateway, given that's you know, probably closer to uh, Hy-Vee and uh, where they're based. But yeah, Santino, Santino is racing this weekend. I expect him to be fast. Um, in other news, Felix Rosenquist, uh, who was not cleared to race at Road America after his uh, scary crash at Detroit, uh, he is cleared to race. So Rosenquist will be back in the seven car this weekend. Uh, and then the only other thing uh to really touch on is uh, there was an article today that came out about Aero McLaren SP uh, showing interest in wanting to do a third car uh, next season. And, you know, the reason for wanting to do this uh, would be to take the fight to the Andretti Autosport, the Team Penske, is when, you know, when you have three cars, more than two, that's more data, more, you know, you have other drivers in there that give different input, just things like that. More cars so you can be stronger and take the fight to these bigger teams. So, yeah, they're aiming for a possible third car next year. No idea who's going to drive it. So that was the big discussion today on social media is who uh, would be, could be driving a third Aero McLaren SP car uh, if it did indeed happen. Zach Brown did say that if it does happen, it has to be fully funded, though. Uh, so I don't think McLaren's going to really out of pocket just – put a third car on track just because uh so yeah i mean there's a couple little things going into mid ohio but overall it's, it's gonna be a fun weekend the season continues on before we go on like a month break of indycar racing well so also we're getting the return of felix rosenquist and i assume renus vk as well i don't know if vk was like officially yeah, VK hasn't been officially announced that he's back, but he was in the simulator today. And they're, they were already saying after Road America that uh, they're hopeful and they think that he'll be back by mid-Ohio. But it's not 
it's not confirmed and i would guess probably because he hasn't had like the physical yet uh to be cleared to actually drive uh and i would imagine they would probably do that for renus uh maybe probably around wednesday probably tomorrow or thursday you know just give yourself the benefit of the doubt you know to be cleared as late as possible so then you're healed up even more so i don't know uh, I expect him to be racing, but it's not fully confirmed yet. Uh, yeah, and I wouldn't usually do this, but because it's mid-Ohio and because it's you, um, are there any drivers that you're looking at this weekend as favorites? I mean, we're, we've been talking about IndyCar and the championship hunt this year. It's been really interesting. A um, couple of newer guys up front, followed by Scott Dixon and Joseph Newgarden in the championship. How do you think this weekend's going to swing? This is a really unpredictable weekend, I would say. Uh, I think your your obvious, you know, first picks had to be Colton Herta, uh, won here last year in the second race. You know, Will Power run won the first race. Uh, Will Power though has gotten a little bit unlucky this year, uh, so he might not be in the favorite position, but probably more of an underdog because you know he can get it done. Uh, I think. You look at a guy like you can't not bring up Scott Dixon when you come to Mid-Ohio. He's won so many races. And uh, when Dixon went on a winning tear, obviously he won later too, but when he went on a tear and won most of his races in Mid-Ohio, it's when the race was 85 laps, and then they switched it to 90. Well, for this year, for some reason, the race has been changed to 80 laps. And the reason they do this at Mid-Ohio is because uh, from 07 to 2012, uh, 85 laps, what that gives you is, you know, you can benefit by saving fuel, I guess, and you can uh, get away with a two-stop. You can It kind of goes in between doing a two-stop strategy and a three-stop. And if you can do a two-stop, you can win. You know, you can take your best shot to win, I should say. If you do a three-stop, you know, you're making it to the end pretty easily. Uh, so they made it 90 to try and make it a three-stop guaranteed Guys still did it under the two-stop and one. Look at Rossi in 2018. Uh, so last year, because of the double headers, obviously, they had to make shorter races, so they were 75 laps, and this year it's 80. So the Honda Indy 200 means nothing. It's it's the Honda Indy 180, even though it's still called the 200. But uh, it should be a surefire two-stop. And going back to Scott Dixon, who I – this is how this started uh, – <laughs> I think with this being a surefire two-stop, you know, and, you know, if there's anyone who can do it, it'd be Scott Dixon in saving fuel and being able to get that done. Because I guess the more I think about it, an 80-lap race, you're probably on a two-stop still having to save, which is why it doesn't make sense why they're changing it, by the way. Uh, so, I mean, if you're coming down to who's going to be fast while saving fuel, Scott Dixon, uh, Pato Award, uh, he had a bad qualifying last year. I think he, he I think he wrecked in one of the warmups. Uh, but I think one of the races he got fifth. But he just he didn't. A lot of the races last year, Pato Award kind of showed a lot of uh, greatness at pretty much every track we went to. But Mid Ohio, he really didn't. I really didn't see much out of Pato Award. So it's going to be interesting if he wants to keep the uh, the championship fight alive. Um, He's going to have to 
you know, really get a move on it, especially after Road America, where he kind of, you know, struggled and struggled. He didn't really struggle, but in Pato Award standards, uh, that was a struggling, uh, a trying weekend for him. Uh, Alex Polo, strong everywhere. And then my last guy I got to bring up, uh, Graham Rahal. He, I'm not just bringing him up because he's, you know, the Ohio, everyone brings him up for Mid Ohio because there's like, he's the hometown guy. He won here in 2015. You know, everybody at Mid-Ohio roots for him, so we have to bring him up. But, I mean, Graham's been criminally underrated this year, and I think I brought that up a couple times on the podcast. I brought it up on my YouTube channel uh, when I covered Road America. If you look at his stats outside of the Indy 500, it's just absurd. And the most absurd thing is if you look at his qualifying stats, they're horrendous. But every time during the race, he makes up like 10, 15 spots every single race. Uh, so if Graham can, you know, get the job done on Saturday, uh, I would expect him to uh, really get the job done on Sunday finally. So, I mean, he's definitely uh, one of the guys to watch for. You know, the thing about Graham Rahal, I think, is this season, you mentioned he's he's really put on some great races, but they haven't really been heavily promoted, I guess, for lack of a better term. Um you know, I'm looking back to the Indy GP when he was in the back of the field, brought his way up to, what was it, fifth? Something um, like that. And, um, you know, that got a little With bit a wrecked of... car. Yeah, that got a little bit of traction, but overall, um, I don't think it was noticed quite as much on the broadcast. I think there was another race this year where he did a similar thing. I don't know if it was Detroit or, um, or what, but I do feel like that happened again uh, at another race. Um, so, yeah, like you said, sort of just quietly I don't know if I should say successful because it hasn't yielded a win yet this season but quietly there this season uh and somebody to keep an eye on for sure big uh, the big Sato too the big thing about them this season the Ray Hall team as a whole if you if you look at the qualifying it started at Barber I remember that I remember Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan was the last two spots on the grid at Barber and it was a big uh-oh because i I think everyone thought that going into the season they were going to be, you know, pretty strong. They were really strong last year, uh, but then you, they qualify the back of the field. But during the race, they looked, they looked like business as usual, and I think most people thought that was an off weekend. But it just every qualifying that we, every qualifying session, Ray Hall, they just the whole, Sato and Graham just, just flatlining qualifying, qualify, don't even make it to round two every single weekend. But then you get to the race. They're, you know, you can pretty much take it to the bank that they're going to finish in the top ten. It's it's just been crazy to see happen. If they can actually, if they could figure out how to actually qualify, uh, to imagine what they could do, uh, is just extraordinary. And I guess the last thing I want to ask you is, it's been a heavy story this entire season. I guess progressively it's been gaining more and more traction as we get further into the season. But Team Penske is still winless this year. Um, they were very close at Road America with Joseph Newgarden. Do you think this could be the weekend that we see one of their drivers pull through finally for a win this season? Joseph's just going to have to find some luck, man. I mean, I can't believe, I cannot believe what happened at Road America. I, I, I don't think I've still processed that. Um, I mean, Detroit well, was a little bit of a different story. Award was just, I mean, he was on a, irregular tire strategy had older tires so it was obvious if there was a yellow he was a sitting duck but road america he had the field covered you know most of the weekend 
every, most of the sessions, you know, New Garden, you could tell was the best. And then just to lead the entire race, come down to, you know, like a eight lap to go restart, have it like a transmission fail. I don't even think it's eight to go. It was like three to go. Have a transmission failure. Like wh- what? I, I can't believe, you know, New Garden hasn't won a race with how strong he's been. Uh, but I mean, he has struggled at mid Ohio. I will tell you that. Um, if there's anyone in the Penske group, I think it can get it done is willpower. Uh, but I mean, willpower is another guy who has been struggling and Pagano, another guy like Ray Hall, who just hasn't been able to qualify. I think he's put in some good race runs, uh, but he cannot qualify. And obviously McLaughlin, uh, learning and, and improving. I would expect and like to see a little bit more, uh, from him this season. I would like to see a little bit more, you know, progression. But I mean, it's it's still early days. Uh, but I do think uh, Will Power at Mid Ohio probably has the best shot. But if you know New Garden is strong and uh, motivated, which he is, uh, he's yeah he could any given weekend. You know the interesting uh, interesting thing about Joseph New Garden for me is he is the highest up in the point standings without a win. Uh, fourth place in the standings right now at 261 points. Championship leader Alex Pillow is at 349 points. Um, but, you know, I don't think anything this season has been particularly off-brand for New Garden. I mean, I don't think this would be a season where he's sort of fallen off the map, so to speak. He still has two poles this year. Um, and if they can figure out a way to start getting some wins, I don't see any reason why they couldn't be in contention for the championship at the end of the season. Um, I mean, you look at some of the drivers he's ahead of still, you talk about the amount of bad luck he's had this season and sort of poor results, but he's still ahead of drivers like Colton Herta. I mean, Renus VK, yes, because of uh, VK's absence from Road America. Uh, Marcus Erickson has a win, except he's down in eighth in the championship. I mean, there's a lot of guys who have wins this season that sort of aren't even close to Newgarden in the championship, which really shows how consistent he's been for the most part i mean there are a couple of outliers in there obviously but uh, i think new garden is probably penske's best shot for the championship this year i don't know if you agree with me on that one or not yeah um, i would say so and the other thing is you look who Di- new garden's right behind and that's scott dixon obviously dixon has a win but if you look at you know dixon and new garden who you know going back to my predictions video those two are usually you know, the favorites, the top, those guys, one of those guys you pretty much accept at the beginning of the season is going to win the championship. At least it's been like that, you know, since 2017. So, I mean, this, those guys, like you said, aren't really having, you know, particularly bad seasons. I think both of them are doing exactly what you expect them to. I mean, I don't, there's nothing really, there's nothing really out of character from either of them. It's just, you look at the top two ahead of them in Alex Pillow and uh, Pato Award, and they've just been really good. Uh, Alex Pillow especially has just been really good. Uh, but that got me thinking uh, and reminded me that it's something interesting to point out as we go. Uh, Road America was the starting point to the second half of the season, and you look at the schedule for the second half of the season. This is something to remind yourselves. Uh, because of 2020 and all that happened, uh, we didn't run a lot of races last year that we normally do so when you look at the schedule we have portland laguna seca and long beach 
Those three tracks alone are tracks that Alex Below and Pato Award have never even seen before. You also throw Nashville in there, which is a tr obviously a track that nobody's seen before. But, you know, this championship is going to be decided at a track where our points leader, Alex Pillow, has never raced at before. And, you know, the two veterans behind them uh, have, obviously. So, I mean, that's that's another, you know, wrench to throw in this championship as we go into the second half. And, you know, looking at Pato Award, I was thinking about Pato Award a little bit. And um, I think, Chris, I think we talked about Pato at the beginning of the season when we did, like, a preview. And I think we both knew that he was going to be fast and probably win some races. But when it comes down to him being a championship favorite, I think the concern both of us had was, you know, how consistent is he going to be able to be? And Road America, you know, sure, I think he was in the top 10. He finished in the top 10, but didn't really show a lot of speed. And at a track that he showed a lot of speed last year. Uh, so I'm going to be really keeping an eye on Pato Award this, uh, this weekend at Mid-Ohio to see if he can uh, claw his way back into, into form like we saw him at the beginning of the year, because that's what he's going to have to do to win this championship. Right. Um, so you were, sorry, I'm going to be honest with you, Kyle. I was sort of just reading something else when you were talking for about 30 seconds. It's okay. There. I do that but, a lot too. But um, you said Pato had never raced at Long Beach. He might've in like 19. Yeah. Okay. Cause we, we did, we, we did get a, a chat saying he raced at Long Beach in 2019. So, um, just figured I'd throw that out there because I'm all about correcting ourselves if we're wrong. Um, yeah, so anyways, we're going to be recapping Mid-Ohio next week. Anything, you know, I think at this point of the season, season is still the championship's wide open for anybody to grab. It's really going to come down to, as Kyle said, consistency, who can really hold on and keep scoring some, some uh, good results and who's going to start to show some weaknesses. So we'll be recapping that race next week, if we do a podcast next week, because we're still sort of on and off, but I'll try my best. Uh, anyways, I want to hop it over to F1 real quick. Um, I'm not really going to be able to talk too much, except for the results of the race and um, and the uh, championship points, because, frankly, I was at the uh, Watkins Glen race Saturday, or Sunday morning, and wasn't able to really pay attention to what was going on. Um, but Austria, uh, the, sorry, the Styrian Grand Prix was this weekend. The Austrian Grand Prix, I think, will be next weekend. Um, so the first race at the Red Bull Ring qualifying. Pole position went to Max Verstappen. We're still talking about Red Bull versus Mercedes. I think at this point in the season, it's clear that Red Bull has that slight edge. Um qualifying two tenths ahead of Valtteri Bottas uh, and Lewis Hamilton, who both put on a 104 flat um, while Verstappen did a 103.8 in qualifying. We'll go on to the race, and Max Verstappen, once again, fourth win in a row for him and Red Bull Racing. Or, I'm sorry, not fourth in a row for him, but fourth red, for uh, Red Bull Racing um, because of Sergio Perez winning at Baku. Um so 25 points on the board once again for Max Verstappen. Lewis Hamilton finished second and Valtteri Bottas in third. If you look at the championship standings, it's still Verstappen in the championship lead with 156 points over Hamilton with 138 and Sergio Perez with 96. Uh, Lando Norris actually was third in the championship for quite a few races at the beginning of the season, uh, but he has since been jumped by Perez 
I believe that switch happened at the Azerbaijan Grand Prix, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. In the team's championship, it is also Red Bull racing over Mercedes at 252 points compared to 212. Um, so, you know, you want to talk about somebody who's going to have to pick it up in the later half of the season. I figured if Mercedes was really going to pick it up and turn the entire season around, it would have already happened by now. In previous seasons where Ferrari was really a, a championship contender, um, they usually did that around the midway point of the season. So I figured the same thing would have happened by now in that case. Um, and then I guess I'll go over to sports car racing uh, with the World Endurance Championship. Um, the Peugeot uh, Le Mans Hypercar will be revealed on July the 6th, um, which will be next Tuesday. So we'll have to recap that uh, in next week's episode if we do one. And, uh, and that's pretty much all I have to say on that note. Anyways, um, trying to think if there's anything else to go over here, because I am slightly lost for content, honestly. Um, and I also got slightly interrupted in the middle of me talking there as well, so didn't go quite as smoothly as I would have hoped. Anyways... I don't know if we have that much else to talk about for this one, Kyle. Uh, unless you have anything, anything in particular. Um, a little bit of an abbreviated one, but um, we'll just call it that for now. Anyways, I'd say that's good enough to wrap it up for this episode of the Rain Race Podcast. You can check us out next week. I'll just commit it. We'll do we'll do an episode next week. Uh, we'll be recapping the IndyCar race at Mid Ohio. Um, the IMSA Sprint Race at Watkins Glen, um, the Austrian Grand Prix um, at the Red Bull Ring. I'm trying to think if there's anything else going on next week. I don't believe anything that we're going to be recapping. And uh, and we're going to go over the Peugeot Le Mans Hypercar as well. So tune in next week for another episode of the Rain Race Podcast. Thank you all so much for tuning in today. I uh, appreciate everybody who who stopped by. And as always, you can check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, and all of those platforms. Just search for the Rain Race Podcast, and it will be there either tomorrow or Thursday, um, whenever I get around to actually publishing it there. Once again, thanks for tuning in. Take care.